We're looking today at the city of Dan, not the, the tribe of Dan, but the city of Dan. And uh, we're going to look at some slides momentarily. First, I'm just going to uh, read you a reference in Genesis chapter 14. And uh, you can stand when you get that. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 14. This city was first called by a name Laish, but in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 14. Now remember, the tribes haven't been assigned land yet. I mean, Jacob hadn't been born yet. And so his 12 sons hadn't been born. So this is not a tribe here. It's talking about a city. Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. And when Abram, he hadn't had his name changed yet, heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. To study this city of Dan, that we'll learn more about you. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 11 in just a moment. 1 Kings chapter 11. And before we read any more scripture, we're going to talk about the cities as Sister Lisa is going to take us through them tonight. 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll look in a few moments at verse 9. But Dan, as we said, we're talking about the city and not the tribe. It was located on the northern edge of Israel, Israel's territory, according to Jeremiah 4 and 1 Samuel 3. It was very close to two cities, Tyre and Sidon. And uh, Tyre and Sidon were evil cities. We, we know that. The scripture talks about them repeatedly. And Dan's right near the edge of that city. And I think you're on slide three now, Lisa, or no? Um, tell Dan, this is, a, remember we told you what a tell is, it's a mound. You see that hill up to the right? That is called a tell. Now, what is a tell? We learned this on Wednesday, so the Wednesday's crowd saying, don't bore us with this. But a tell is an archaeological mound. Whenever they built a city and the city was destroyed by earthquake or war, rather than haul it off in dump trucks, they would build a new city right on top of that city. And so over years, thousands of years, where different people ruled the area, whether it be Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, a new city would be built, a new name would be given to the city. This changed the name several times, but over time you'd have a tell. And when archeologists come, they'll dig way down and find different levels of civilization. And so as you see the tell here, and then is that the third slide? Thank, thank you, Lisa. This is right on the edge of Tyre and Sidon. And if I was gonna preach tonight, I'd stop right here and preach to you for a few minutes about being too close to the world. Now, geographic, geographically, this was very close to these evil cities, Tyre and Sidon. And I could springboard off into a message on worldliness. We got all the young people here tonight. And every one of them has a battle with the world. I mean, they'll have a battle with their flesh all their life. But when you're young and you're influenceable, you are under the pressure of the world. We kind of grow to where the world doesn't pressure us anymore. I'm no longer pressured by a group of friends that say, let's go out and yeah, I'll go to this place or that place or let's throw rocks through this lady's window. You don't have that pressure much when you're an adult. But these kids are going through it. And the only way that they're going to learn to get victory is to stay clear of the world. Put some distance between you and those people. And all of you young people have to understand it takes one mistake to ruin your life. And so the crowd you hang around with, the worldly people, are going to have an influence on you. So get away from them. 
Find Christian friends who don't say, let's go do something bad. Because as we're young, we're, we're impressionable and we can easily get led astray by the world. And Dan was influenced, and the city was influenced by these evil cities. There's no doubt about it. Israel was always influenced by the world. When they, around other nations, what happened? They'd start worshiping their gods. And today we have so many false gods in our world, don't we? Materialism, you know, is a false god. Immorality is a false god. And so many people worship these gods. And our world's in a mess, and we have to stay a great distance away. Because if you get too close to the world, you're going to get burnt, you're going to get hurt, and you could ruin your life. And I remember um, when I was a young man, 19, I've told some of you this before, I was in some trouble, getting in trouble. My dad was getting tired of me getting in trouble, and I had a police officer friend that was getting on my case about it. And uh, my youth pastor drove by one night, and I was going to, into an establishment, and he said, hey, Dan, and I was embarrassed because my dad's the deacon in the church, and I was just doing the wrong things. And when I got right with God, he gave me the courage to say to my old buddies, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. That takes guts. And I had a professional soccer player write me a few years ago. I have a letter in my file somewhere. He said I had spoken and he had heard me speak in a meeting. And I had spoken about having the courage and the guts to be a Christian. Dare to be a Daniel. And I said, it really does take guts to say to the world, I'm not going to do that. I'm a Christian. I don't live like that. That takes so much guts. And I talked about people who were cowards and couldn't live for God. He wrote me a letter and said he had remembered that for years. And finally, he realized he'd been a coward. And he stood up and started to live for God. And so all these young people, they're on the edge of the world right now. They may go to a school and they may be around worldly people. In fact, don't tell me Christian schools exclude all worldliness, because <laughs> that's just not the case. And uh, we know that, we understand that. It's, it's so much about the decisions we make, our, our family heritage, and, and, and the upbringing we have. But anyway, that was the sermonette for tonight. We're going to talk about Dan for a few moments, and Lisa's going to spend a few seconds, 10 seconds maybe, on each slide. Dan's first mentioned by Moses, as we read in Genesis chapter 14. Originally, the city, as I said, was named Laish. Abraham pursued Lot's captors to Laish. The Canaanites were the first people to control the city. Then the Phoenicians came and control it. Now, the Canaanites is kind of a general term for all the peoples of Canaan, where the Philistines were Caucasian people, and they were land grabbers. The Phoenicians were sea-going Philistines. So here the Phoenicians came by sea, and they captured the city. The city was a 50-acre city. Uh, that tell you sees a 50-acre tell. Had walls 12 feet thick, 25 feet high. Between 2000 and 1200 BC, it flourished because of the, of the proximity to Mount Hermon. It was below Mount Hermon, and the, the water, rainwaters, gave it very fertile soil. And the population grew to over 10,000 people in this little city. Now, when you had these cities, remember, not everybody lived inside the gates. The city was your place of refuge. If the enemy came and you were a farmer and you lived, you had a farm outside the city and you heard the enemies come and the dust you'd see in the distance as the chariots and the horses came, you'd flee inside that city and they'd shut the gates and you'd be safe inside. And I love, love scripture and I love songs that say God is our refuge. We're safe in him. And that we use figuratively to say this. 
If you're a believer, when you're in trouble, you can't find a walled city. But you find Jesus who's your refuge. And you're safe in him. Just run and run to him. And what I mean by that is confess your sin. If you're not saved, repent and be saved. But if you're saved, confess your sin and draw close to God. And when you do, he'll draw close to you. And you're safe in him. I'm always safe in him. I could be in the middle of the most dangerous place in the world and I'd be safe. I remember how dumb I was when I was a college guy. I was going to Temple, living in the dorms. And I worked at Surf and Turf Meat Market out in Hickson, on the corner, right by the high school there. And I sold meat, cut meat and stuff like that. And I'd get off work at nine at night and I'd walk home. You say, well, how far did you walk? All the way to Tennessee Temple from Hickson. <laughs> kind of nutty. I'd hitchhike sometimes, but I'd walk. And quite often I'd be walking down 9th Street. And back then 9th Street wasn't called Martin Luther King and it was not a safe place to walk. I'd walk down there and uh, really my roommates and people on camp say, what are you doing walking down there? People would drive by and later and come, they wouldn't offer me a ride ironically, but they'd come up and say, did I see you walking down 9th Street? Yes. You know, it was not very smart, but I was always safe because of the Lord. I didn't know better. I didn't know it was the roughest part of town. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, and I played basketball in some pretty bad areas, and I, I knew the bad areas, but I just kind of was okay with it. And I wasn't very smart back then, and I did some dumb things. But God is always watching over us, and when we're in Him, we're safe in Him. And so we trust God, and we, we go inside and make Him our refuge. But this tribe of Dan was a lot of this city. The tribe was a lot of the city, ironically. And of course, conquered it, named it from Laish to Dan. Dan means God is my judge. Unfortunately, the tribe of Dan's one of the worst tribes. So when somebody asks me about my meaning of my name, I say, well, I use Daniel. Because Daniel was a good example in the Bible. Dan, the city, was not. And the tribe of Dan was not. And unfortunately, they were influenced by false gods and these evil cities that were around them. It fell several times. It fell to Syria in the ninth century. And, and then in the eighth century, Amos prophesied it'd fall again. That became true. And uh, archaeologists have actually found inscriptions to the God of Dan. They found evidence of, of different gods. But there was a calf there. Jeroboam had built two golden calves there. Uh, one, one was, he built two. One was in Dan and one he placed in Bethel. Bethel was in the southern kingdom. Bethel meant house of God. And here he builds a golden calf there. Dan means God is my judge and he builds a golden calf there. So you have one in the northern kingdom and one in the southern kingdom. Just plain evil. And uh, we know the calf was taken by Tiger Philester III in 738 and the city fell to Assyria. Archaeologists have discovered a 60-foot podium. We'll look at that slide in a moment when you get there. Pause. There it is. This is where they believe the actual golden calf rested. Isn't that interesting? They believe that's where it was. And so they built this, they found this podium and a foundation here uh, for a little temple dedicated to a false god. And uh, they also found altars and towers and walls, a bronze gate. And they also found an inscription, the house of David because they had a temporary setup to worship God. Get to verse 32, or slide 36. Uh, this is, um, uh, we'll get to slide 36 in a moment. Is that it, Lisa? I think it is. This is it, isn't it? Um, 
This slide is, is construction that Ahab actually built. Remember, you've heard about King Ahab, an evil king. You remember Jezebel, his wife. In fact, if you want to know about someone who wore too much makeup, she's the only one in the Bible. The Bible says wore too much makeup. She painted her face. She worshiped other gods. And of course, you know what a tragic end. She fell, and you know that story. We'll tell that someday. But this is uh, evidence of Ahab's construction. And I'll let Lisa go through the slides and finish up. And she'll pick one to rest on while we share some more scripture. So we're going to go now to 1 Kings chapter uh, 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And I'm going to make several points today. Now the kingdom ended up being divided. It didn't happen until after David. We, we always say that what you teach your kids and the bad habits, they'll pass down to their kids and generation after generation can learn your bad habits. And so we know that David made some stupid mistakes. He had too many wives for one thing. Oh, this is a great debate in seminary and Bible classes. People ask, why in the world, David, a man after God's own heart, did he have all those wives? Of course, he didn't have anything close to what Solomon had. Now, but David had several, and the Bible describes them as good. The virtuous woman may have been Bathsheba. And you think of the other wives he had, Abigail, other, several others that he, uh, you know, met along the way and brought into his kingdom, but it was still wrong, even if the women were good. They were scared of him, and they had to obey him. They were absolute monarchs, and he took so many wives, and we know it was wrong. And what happened was he influenced his son. His son saw this, no doubt. All the problems with David's kids, Absalom, and all the different things that happened, the, the rape and, and the murder and all that. Solomon saw all that, and what did he do? He went and did the worse, worse than that. And then Solomon's son, Jeroboam, did way worse than that. So you have to be careful when you set an example before kids. Don't we see in our society a dysfunctional home Excuse me, we see that so often, and then what do we see? Dysfunctional kids. We see a home with drugs and alcohol, and then oftentimes the kids have problems with drugs and alcohol. We see homes that have kids with several different people, and what do we see? The children do the same things. Why? We're teaching them how to behave. And it's hard to, to live right, but our only reward when we leave this earth, what we leave behind, the only thing good is, is our children. We have rewards in heaven, but... We have to remember our lives do matter and what we live is, does impress our children. And so it's important. So we have this divided kingdom. God said it was going to happen. Look at 11, 1 Kings 11, 9 to 12. And the Lord was angry. Yahweh's angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. I mean, when God appears to you, why in the world, after meeting face-to-face -face with God, would you go and run amok? Why? It doesn't make any sense. But why do we do the same thing after we have a great experience? Do you know there's been several great experiences in my life? I mean great miracles. Things that have happened that have made me never forget the greatness of God. And I've told you some of the stories. Running out of gas on I-75, and a guy just ironically gets sick and has a can of gas, and I give him the gospel. You know, and you never forget something like that. Needing $600 and someone dropping a money order in my door for $600. And I go to my two secretaries and I say, who did you tell? Or did your husbands drop this in? Both of them to this day say, 
No, we never told anybody. And you say, well, that had to be God because only God knew about it. You know, uh, they know because they look at my financial statement. They can see when I don't have enough to pay my bills. They see my, the checks that come in for me. And so there's been so many miracles. My daughter, when the judge said, you'll never get this baby. And the policeman came to our house. And yet what happened? And being stopped at a checkpoint, have AK-47s pointed at my face during the Noriega years. And I'm thinking, am I going to die now? I have seen God over and over, a rocket blowing up my dining room a week after I move out. I have seen God over. So why then, why then would I ever step outside of God's perfect plan? Why would I do some stupid things I've done? And so we can always look at Bible characters and pick them apart, but we always have to look in the mirror. Because as you study scripture, we're looking in the glass of the word, James tells us. It's always easy for me to preach and say, can you see yourself in here? But this exposes my, my character. I see myself. So I talk about myself sometimes in a bad way uh, and, uh, because I want you to understand that you have to examine your heart the same way. Look and find yourself and find your mistakes. I've never met a man of God that didn't own up to his mistakes. You think of... Uh, if, if you're ever going to be anything in the kingdom of God, you have to humble yourself and recognize who and what you are. Think of Saul having to humble himself. But what did Saul become? Paul. And think of all the men in Scripture and think of all the great men you know in God's kingdom. First of all, I had to repent. That's humility anyway. But then to admit your errors. I've known preachers make big mistakes, not own up to it not apologize, not make it right, and they're no longer in ministry. It's better to just say, you know what? I blew it. Bad decision. Forgive me for my stupid decision. That day may come where I may stand up here and say, you know, I made this decision. I talked with the deacons and, and, and I made a decision. It was just a bad decision. I was a bad leader to make that decision. Sometimes I may make a decision that's bad just because God wants to break me and Teach me that I'm still human and I'm going to make those mistakes. But all of us have to examine ourselves. And so here we find David, the wrong example. God said the kingdom is going to be divided. And, and verse 10, and had commanded him concerning the thing he should not go after other gods. And he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant, verse 11, 12, 11, 11, and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Going to lose the kingdom. Sadly, it's a divided kingdom. We know that Rehoboam, was who was a son of Solomon. His name meant liberty, but he brought bondage on Israel. Jeroboam, who was, look at verse 28, 11, 28. Jeroboam in verse 28, who was one of Solomon's right-hand men. Look, in Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, of Ephraim, of Zedra. So he's an Ephraimite. Uh, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, remember, were Joseph's sons. Uh, Solomon's servant, whose mother was Zariah, a widow woman. Even he lifted up his hand against the king. So he's got a son and a servant both turning against him, trying to take the kingdom away. And the kingdom divides because Jeroboam and Rehoboam couldn't even get along and we have a divided kingdom. 
And for 200 years, the kingdom stayed divided because Jeroboam and Rehoboam were carnal, evil men. They learned, unfortunately, from their dad's mistakes. Young people, let me remind you again, when you find good in your parents, in the good things they do, and the good examples they set, major on that. Remember those things. Forgive your parents for their failures. I had to forgive my dad. My dad was a deacon. My dad was a hard man. Times he made mistakes. Good man made some mistakes. Some of you may look at your parents and say, they're hypocrites. They tell me to do this and do that, and they live differently. And I don't know your parents. I'm just saying it's a biblical principle. Take the good and learn from the bad and don't repeat their mistakes. You are Christian young people. You have an opportunity to have a great life. God has a plan for your life. I love that little track that I got in college where it said, God has a plan for your life. I thought, me, a plan for my life? He has a plan for the Christian, and it's not to fall into sin. It's not to marry out of God's will and marry a lost person, live like the devil. It's not to make money and, and move up in the business world. It's not to be worldly and famous. It's to be a child of God, to live right, to marry the right person, and raise children in the Lord. That's God's plan. It's not that simple. I remember when I got out of high school, I thought, what am I going to do with my life? I was a meat cutter at the time. I thought, I don't know if I want to do this for 50 years. And people said, God had a plan for me. I, I didn't know. And I, I found that my life ended up being in the hands of God. He just guided me. If you'd have told me I'd be preaching at a church in Georgia when I was 17, when I graduated, I thought, well, are you out of your rocker? I don't even know how to get to Georgia. <laughs> are you off your rocker? Not out of it. But, you know, you just don't realize that God has a plan. And as a believer, it may be to be a postman. And that's a great calling. Had a guy up in Saudi, he worked for the city of uh, Red Bank. He said, well, I, I work for the city. I'm just a garbage man, he said. And they said, that's great. He kind of looked at me like, you're saying it's God. I'm so proud of you working that you go to work every day. And that God's opened up a door for you to have that job and pay the family's bills. Be proud of the fact that you're a working man. Amen? I mean, I, I'm proud of that guy. And whatever God has for you, you just take it in stride and realize he may open doors for you to go to school. He may not. He may give you a trade. He may not. But he has a plan. And you need to be obedient to his plan. And so here we have these two knuckleheads not doing what God wants them to do. Look at verse 31 and 31. Ahijah, who's a prophet, says here in verse 31 and 30, 30 and 31, he says that the kingdom's going to be torn apart. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces and said to Jeroboam, Take thee 10 pieces, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give 10 tribes to thee. So this prophet tears his garment up, his new garment, and gives him 10 pieces. You're going to get 10 tribes. That's what God said. And of course, the other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, would go with uh, Rehoboam. And, and so they'd have a split. And what a tragedy. A divided kingdom for 200 years till the northern kingdom finally fell, 722. Later, the southern kingdom fell, and now they're back again, coming back. The Jews from Ukraine coming back. God's preparing for the rapture. So he says, there's going to be a divided kingdom. 
And then look at chapter 12 and verse 1 and following verse 4. 1 says Rehoboam, mentions Rehoboam. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt. Now he's supposed to get, Rehoboam's supposed to get the throne. Jeroboam hears of it in verse 2. He heard of it. And then he called together the congregation, his followers. And the, the Bible says, he says to them, thy father made our yoke grievous in verse 4. Well, that's a lie. Solomon didn't make the yoke grievous. Solomon was, was great in many ways, immoral in many ways, but he enlarged the kingdom. Never in the history of Israel has a kingdom been larger than it was in David and Solomon's time. David won the battles, but Solomon had this great empire all the way out to the Tigris and all these great boundaries, a great, great empire. And so it was great, and now it's going to shrink down, and eventually they'll shrink down to look what they've got today. God is still judging Israel. I mean, think of how long it's been going on. Israel still has not come to accept Jesus as the Messiah. They're still judged. I mean, they're having gay pride week. You say, preacher, on one hand, you say, love Israel, and I do. They're God's chosen people. I'll bless them that bless them, curse them that curse thee. I do, and I stand behind them. But on the other hand, they're not right with God. We know that. They still love things other than God. And whenever you love something ahead of God, you're committing idolatry. And that's spiritual adultery, James tells us. And so here we know the kingdom is divided. Jeroboam leads the ten tribes. They follow him. Sadly, the whole nation should have stayed under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, but it didn't. Uh, it went and split. It should have been, Rehoboam should have been the king, but he was evil as well. When you read the lives of these two guys, they were absolutely terrible. And so we have this great revolt. In verses 28 to 32 of, of chapter 12, Jeroboam made two, God, two idols here. And I'll be just a little longer than normal. I'll be out of here in five minutes or so. But look here, 28 to 32. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other in Dan. How awful is this? How awful? Jeroboam makes two golden calves, puts one in the house of God, and one in Dan, where God is my judge, that's the most, that's so terrible. I can't even put it in the right words. But we know how bad this is. And I want you to look to Exodus for a moment, chapter 32. Because just to get an idea of how bad this is, um, my word search came up dry because it's, it's an abomination. It's just absolutely terrible. And yet, when we love our things, we do the same thing. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 4, look what it says. Here's Aaron. He makes a golden calf. Verse 4, he received them at their hand and fashioned it with graving tool. And he had made a, a molten calf. And he said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You notice, he gives credit to a golden calf. What does Jeroboam do? He makes two and gives credit to the golden calf. Now, there's nothing God hates more than people taking the glory that belongs to God. You remember Herod bragging on all he had done? Eating of worms immediately. God can't stand it when we don't give him the glory. You know why our church is blessed? We have a great God. Amen. 
that's the reason. I love Harold and the choir. But we have a great God. I love our teachers and our workers and our deacons and our staffers, but we have a great God. Let's never forget to praise our Lord. He's why we've grown. He's why we're blessed because he is the one and only one to be worshiped and praised. And I'm so thankful to him. And so here, Jeroboam says, we're going to worship. We have these two gods which brought us out of the land of Egypt. So it sets one idol in Dan and, and one he sets in Bethel. And he says in verse four, chapter 14, verse 16, this is our last text, 14, 16. He says this. And he shall give Israel up. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who did sin and made Israel to sin. Notice here, Jeroboam was the leader. He's the leader. I've told you a few times. I've said this to the deacons. If you want to see a side of me that might shock you, just do some serious sin, and you'll see a side of me you don't like. Because I make people repent of their sins. The Bible says in Corinthians that if someone be a drunkard, you have to put them out of the church. It doesn't mean physically carry them out. But we believe in church discipline. They have to be voted out of membership if they're a drunkard. Why? The Bible says that. And if, if I can't do what God tells me to do as a pastor, then I'm a failure as a leader. Jeroboam offended the people of Israel. He caused them to what? Stumble. That's what that word means. And we have to be careful when we have the freedom and liberty to sin, which we don't have in Christ, but we think we do, and we cause people to stumble, we're going to answer to God because he hates that. He says, certainly don't cause weaker ones to stumble. He warns of that. It would be better to put a millstone around your neck than to cause weak people to stumble. And that's what Jeroboam did. He made Israel to sin, it says here. So the leadership was terrible in that they offended people. Think of all the problems and I'll close with this. First of all, the, too close to the world. Remember, we started out talking about that. Second of all, division and carnality. Both men, I want to be the leader. I want to be the king. You ever see a church split? Huh? Thank God we haven't had that. But you know what? I, I've never been part of a church. I've never been a pastor to church that split. I was part of a split one time. Two people wanted to have the preeminence, the atrophies. And we had two diatrophies in the same church. Two people who wanted to be in charge of the church. And the church split. It's called division. And the Bible calls that carnality in 1 Corinthians. Paul even says, don't say you're on my side and don't say you're on the side of Apollos. Why? Stand with Jesus. And sometimes it means telling both sides, hey, you're wrong. You're wrong. I love you. But you're, you're, you're going about this wrong. I love you. You're going about this wrong. Because division's always carnal. No one's perfect in a church split. No side wins. It only hurts the church. So there's division in the kingdom. And then idolatry. I mean, could we say more about that? What a terrible tragedy for the country to divide because of idols. I hope America doesn't split, but we're already pretty divided. I'm not going to compromise what I preach, what I believe, and the way I lead. But I feel bad for the division in our country. But let me just tell you what I want you to apply practically. We can talk about America. We can talk about Israel. But let's talk about each one, every one of us as we close in prayer. What about division in your family? Do you have a brother or a sister you're not speaking to? 
Huh? Of a child, do you have broken fellowship? I had a lady tell me years ago, not here. She said, I hadn't spoken to my son in years. I've done nothing wrong. And I'm not going to apologize when I haven't done anything wrong. And I said, well, you have done something wrong. No, I haven't. I said, Betty, I said, listen to me. Just that you say you won't apologize and you, won't, and you haven't done anything wrong tells me there's something wrong. A humble person will go, even if you have to be the stronger one, and say, I'm sorry. So maybe you have some division in your life. That's the word schism is our English word. Do you have some division between a child or maybe two of your kids are divided? You need to bring them together? I don't know. But this message is not to be just about the past and just about Jeroboam and Rehoboam. It's to be about each and every one of us. So all of us need to examine our hearts. And if there's some division, I say if, I don't know that there is. You be the big person. You be the one that says, forgive me, I'm sorry. Even if you say, well, I've only done 1% wrong and they're 99% wrong. Be the big person and patch up the division. We don't need schisms in our lives. We talk about churches and, and Israel and America and all that, but we have to examine our own lives. And I'll always be that kind of preacher to you. <laughs> people will say amen when you're talking about the people out there. Well, if I talked about the gays today, you all would erupt into amens. But we have to bring those things close to home. Talk about the adultery in the man's heart. Whoso looketh upon a woman with lust is committing adultery in his heart. And hating people, the Bible says, you hate someone, you're committing murder. That's what the Bible, that's what Jesus says. So we have to examine our hearts. The only thing to do for those people out there is tell them about the love of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And for the great examples, unfortunately bad examples, of David and Solomon and Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Division, idolatry, worldliness. Oh God, we know that Sometimes we're just a stupid mistake away from these things in our own lives. Lord, help us to examine our own lives to be sure we are right with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.